Good morning, everybody. You doing all right? All right, that sounds a little more convincing. We're awake a little bit. We'll be in uh, Luke's gospel today. We're going to take a little bit of a detour from our James study. We'll be in the gospel of Luke, chapter 5. Um, if you have a Bible, go ahead and turn there. If you don't, it will be on the screen for you momentarily. And uh, I want to say a good morning to you. As you probably walked in, you noticed we got a little different look this morning. There's some uh, mustaches in the back. And uh, that was, uh, there we go, right there. We had our man card conference this week. And um, we, or this weekend, rather, Friday night, Saturday. And now we're concluding that. And I saw some of your ladies are like, I don't have a man card, nor do I want a man card. It's okay because all of our, both our women's conference and our men's conference that we've had about a month apart from one another, have had a very similar theme. And it's been focused on the spiritual disciplines, and especially in both of the um, both of the conferences, we have looked at the importance of God's word in the life of both men and women as they grow as followers of Jesus. Secondly, we've looked at how essential prayer is to and vital for spiritual growth for both men and women. We've also looked at worship and how both. Private and corporate worship are essential for the growth and development and the relationship that we need with God for both men and women. And then I also, when I got to challenge you during the, the, the women's conference, I challenged you to, to engage in the discipline of service, service and also to recognize the need for Sabbath rest, the one where you just put, you, you know you got a million things to do, but you rest in the Lord Jesus and his accomplishments, and you give God, you show you, your confidence in his sovereignty by taking a rest. And today, I would like to talk with you about another discipline, another area of the Christian life that we need as followers and that begins, that word is, and that discipline is evangelism. Now, sometimes we use words that we don't understand their meaning. I do it regularly. In fact, I caught myself one day using a word, um, and I do this quite regularly, a word I thought I knew what it meant. And somebody, go, somebody asked me, like, I don't think that means what you think it means, okay? And I had to go back and look. Like, I was using it the exact opposite way. Maybe you're not like me, and you have a great vocabulary, and you can just, like, you know, just you use all your words correctly. Well, sometimes I need a little bit of definition. And so I think it's important. Evangelism is a church word. Evangelism also, it comes, is rooted in the Greek word that we get good news from. And I'm not going to try to say it because it's going to get me tongue-tied today, and it's time change, so you don't want me to try to pronounce a Greek word today, okay? It's just not going to work out very well. I can barely make words now happen, okay? And that's after one cup of coffee. Probably should have had 17, all right? The word evangelism comes from the word good news. And a, just a working a definition of evangelism is this. It is to share the good news of Jesus with other people so that they might repent and believe in him. Let me just say that again. Here's what evangelism is. It's a big word meaning this. Sharing the good news of Jesus with other people so that they might repent of their sins, turn from their sins, and believe in him and his once-for-all sacrifice. And so the good news is this. You're not good. You have, we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and we rightfully deserve wrath. You're saying, that doesn't sound very good, because the good news begins with bad news, and that's why the good news is so good, because it comes in the midst of really, really bad news. And the bad news is that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and our rightful 
they rightfully due the wrath of God. The wages of sin is death, eternal death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. And so what we see here is Jesus, the God-man, came bearing sin and bearing sin on the cross, receiving sin's penalty, all the judgment of sin poured out on him. He died and he was resurrected so that through him we might know forgiveness of sins and new life, eternal life, abundant life now, eternal life in the future through Jesus Christ. And so simply our job is to share that message Evangelism is simply sharing the message, the good news of Jesus with other people so that they might turn from their sins and believe in him. It's pretty simple, right? It's a simple thing, but it can be a scary thing. And I want you to know this. As Jesus followers, we are commanded to be evangelists. And I want this morning to prove that point to you and then show some of the ramifications of that using Luke chapter 5. Are you with me? Are we awake out there? I know we we were springing forward or we have sprung forward, okay? Luke 5 verse 1 says this. On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him, and this is Jesus, and he'd been preaching the good news, and so we have on one occasion when the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret. Now this can also be understood as the Sea of Galilee. See, Luke is a doctor. He's a medical doctor. And he, he wrote both the Gospel of Luke and the continuation of the story in the book of Acts. And as a doctor, he used a lot of terms that are a little bit more precise than some of the other Gospel writers. Now, that they're both fine. People called this the lake of Gennesaret, they also called it the Sea of Galilee, okay? So this is in Jesus' home, home turf up there, and it's around the Sea of Galilee where this is all taking place, and he's beginning to preach the good news of the kingdom, and people are noticing him as a preacher. I mean, how great is it, the Son of God preaching the good news, and people have come to see him, and it's become such a, a big deal that people are pressing around him, and he's around this lake, and here's, here's how he's going to speak to all these people without the use of modern amplification. He says this, and he saw two boats, in verse 2, he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. So by the lake, it's not unusual for them to see boats. Fishing was a, was a big time uh, industry, and it was a way that a lot of people made their living. And so he is walking around. The crowds are gathering together with him. He's by the lake. He sees the boats. Verse 3, getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's. Simon will eventually become Peter, just so you know that. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's. He asked him to put out a little bit from the land, and he sat down and taught the people from the boat. So the crowd is getting around Jesus so much, they're kind of, they're all around. He said, can you do me a favor? I'm going to jump in your boat, Simon. You push out a little ways so I can speak to everybody so they won't be all around me, have a little distance between me and the crowd. And then just in this, he would use the, the water as, an as a way of amplification, and the bank of the, of the lake would have made kind of a natural amphitheater. And so he begins to teach people out of a boat. Now, sometimes I have problems teaching people standing still. I just can't imagine, you know, being on a boat trying to teach people. You probably can't either the way I walk around and move and, you know, stuff. It'll probably, it would capsize, okay? So Jesus is teaching people from this boat, 
And in verse 4, he says, And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. Simon's obviously, he's owner of the boat. He is a fisherman. He says, I want you to go out. Let's go catch some fish. Now, <laughs> in the nicest way possible, Simon says, I don't think we should. Verse 5, and Simon, and Simon answered, Master. So he's not, he's recognizing Jesus' authority, but he's going to also say, have you thought about this? Master, we toiled all night and took nothing. We went fishing all night, and we got nothing. But at your word, I'm going to let down my nets. They're back at the bank. They had cleaned the nets. They're ready to go home. They've already worked their shift. And not only did they work their shift, their shift was fruitless. See, they weren't getting paid unless they got fish. They weren't getting fed unless they got fish. So he worked. They basically worked all night. Him and his crew, we're going to see that there was a crew that were working with him in this fishing industry that they had going on. They had worked all night and got nothing to show for it. Do you know what they probably really wanted to go do? Home. They wanted to go home and sleep. And they didn't want to think about the bad night they had. But he's listening to Jesus. Jesus said, all right. Jesus said, but at your word, I'm going to let down my nets. He listened to Jesus. He recognized Jesus' authority. He's kind of giving him a way out. He said, like, I don't think this is a good. Have you thought about this? I mean, you're a rabbi. You're a teacher. I'm a fisherman. I kind of know my business. But, Lord, I, listen, I'm going to listen to you. He recognizes Jesus' authority, and he's about to see it in greater detail in verse 6. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking. All night using all of his professional knowledge that he had accumulated over the years and his expertise, these expert fishermen and their boats could not catch fish. They had all the nets set to catch fish at night, and they're going to go out with the nets that they had used that previous night, and they are going to catch fish so much so that it began to break their nets. Verse 7, and they signaled to their partners in the other boat to say, come help us. Hey, come here. We, we got too many fish. We need help. Come over here. Help us get the fish in the boat. I heard a story. I believe it was from Kelly. I don't, if, I'm, if I'm telling your fish stories, it's because I don't have a whole lot of them. Okay, Kelly? Uh, I remember this great story that Kelly told that he thought he had this massive fish and everybody had gathered around him and he fought that fish and fought that fish and fought that fish and it turned out to be a coffee can. And everybody gathered around to see him catch a coffee can. <laughs> These guys are gathered around because the catch is so immense. Fish, so many fish that it is breaking the net. And you can imagine, <laughs> Peter's like, I'm the expert. Now he tells me to go out and fish, and look how many fish. He's like, guys, we need your help. Get the boat over. We need help with all these fish. And in verse 8, it says, but when Simon Peter saw it, he recognized something. He fell down at Jesus' 
knees, saying, Depart from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. We're going to explain, explain that a little bit more later on, but just know this. The reason, it, that, that seems like an odd thing to do, right? To be like, oh, we caught fish. <laughs> God, forgive me. Go away from me. Doesn't that seem weird? It's because he recognizes the divine control of Jesus. We have an appearance of God. See, Peter recognizes that Jesus is God at this point. He doesn't get it fully, and we go look through the Gospels of Luke and the other Gospels. He doesn't fully get it, but he recognizes something. There were no fish to be found. If there would have been, they would have found them. All of a sudden, this man says, at the wrong time to be fishing, go out and fish. They're using the wrong equipment. It's at the wrong time. This is not how this should have gone down. And he says, go do it. They do it, and they catch more fish than they can imagine. And he right there recognizes that this one has control of the elements and of the animals. And he speaks, and the nets are full of fish. This is an example of someone seeing God. A lot like Isaiah chapter 6, when Isaiah sees the Lord, he falls on his face and he says, Woe is me, for I am undone. I'm a man of unclean lips. For my, and, and he says that, and I live amongst a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Isaiah, when he sees God, he falls on his face. When, when Peter sees God in Christ... He falls to his knees on the fishing boat and he says, go away from me. Don't look at me. I'm a sinful man and you are God. And he may not understand completely where he's going with that, that he understands completely that Jesus is the Messiah, but he recognizes the presence of God and it calls him to fall on his knees before the Lord. In verse 9 it says this, For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish. Of course they were. They had worked all night and no fish, and now there's so many fish. And it goes on to say that, uh, that they had taken. It says that, and he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish they had, ta- had they taken. In verse 10 it says, And so also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, and these are his partners. So were their partners, Simon, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on, you will be, and this is very important today, do not be afraid, from from now on, you will be catching men. If you have your own copy, guys, we're going to go ahead and underline that because that is the the phrase that we're going to focus on so much today. And also verse 11, it says this, and when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and they followed him. In all the gospels, well, in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, not John. There is, a, there is a situation that you see that Jesus calls his disciples. In every situation, when he calls these disciples, Peter, James, and John, he calls them to come catch men or to be fishers of men. In this story, in Luke's gospel, we have this other, we get more of the details, and we get the idea that the, him calling them to be fishers of men comes when they, he's giving them an example of how many fish can be caught. And so he is showing them that to, to Jesus is the Lord of the catch, if you will. And he is calling them out and saying, I want you to come with me. So from now on, you used to fish for fish, and now you're going to fish for people. Now that's an odd image. 
And many of you may be thinking already, if you have kind of a funny sense of humor of somebody with a fish hook in their mouth hanging off a boat. Or you may be thinking of somebody caught in a net, and it's kind of funny. But the main idea is this. You used to go out and catch fish. Now you're going to catch men. And that is part and parcel of following me. So you know what they do? They realize that the profession is going to be changing, that they're no longer people who follow or who, people who fish for a living, fish for fish for a living. They are people who, who will fish for people. And so as verse 11 says, they, when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. Now, for some of us, who are especially not fishermen, it's really not that hard to think about leaving the boat and washing the fish stink off and and walking away. But these people are leaving their livelihood. They're leaving their family profession, more than likely. It's a generational thing. And they are leaving all, all of they've ever known to follow Jesus. And they are leaving with this in mind that they are going to become now, they used to go after fish, and now they're going to go after men. They probably did not understand what Jesus was talking about completely. I don't think there's any way they could have. Because from this point on, it's going to unfold. They're following him around all sorts of places, and they're going to see all sorts of things. They're going to see dead people raised. They're going to see happy meals feed thousands. They are going to see the Son of God crucified, and then they're going to be completely, they're going to become convinced he's the Messiah, but then he's crucified, and their whole world's going to be rocked, and then he's going to be raised, and and they're going to have to to deal with that, and then they're going to follow him and, and his mission of becoming fishers of men. They have no clue what is happening, but we know the whole story. And what it means to follow Jesus at its core for these men was to leave what they were doing going after fish and to go after people and to follow Jesus in that. And we can see this very clearly that they have an encounter with God in Christ. They see him for who he is and they follow him and do what he says And one of the things, and the major thing he tells them at this point is, you are to go out and to be fishers of men. And that, at its essence, as they're going to come to find out, means taking the good news of Christ, his death, burial, and resurrection to the world. As I told you, remember, Luke and Acts are connected. They're interconnected books. He wrote them both. They have a similar storyline. One one tells the the first one tells of Jesus coming. The second one tells of Jesus. It ends with him ascending after his resurrection. Okay, and then it's the the Spirit comes down, and what happens after that? They go out and share the good news. And so the rest of the book of Acts is about the good news, the message of Jesus going out, and they actually become fishers of men, and they go out and they spread the gospel, and thousands of people become saved. And trust the Lord. You remember, you've seen that probably in this passage. So I want you to know this. He, co- he commands them to come and catch men. The culmination of that is Acts 1.8 where he says, but you will receive power. And this is Jesus right before he is ascended. He said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses in Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. 
And so here is very clearly, Jesus is calling his disciples, and then he, right before he left, he commissioned his disciples who would come to make disciples and to teach people the gospel, and in other words, to become catchers or fishers of men. So I think I've made the point pretty clear. So the most technical we're going to get this morning is that to follow Jesus, you obey Jesus. One of the things he called his followers to do and still calls his followers to do is to be fishers of men and to take the good news and to be, be about fishing wherever you go. There was a lady in my home church, or in one of the churches we served at, um, who she made dresses for a living, and she always dressed to, like, super, super trendy. Like, not even just trendy. She looked like Meryl Streep in, um, what's that movie, uh, The Devil Wears Prada. She always, like, had, I mean, she wasn't, she wasn't mean like that. It was like, hold my coat, okay? It wasn't how it was. But she always, like, she would wear, and this would look insane to most people, but she could pull it off. She wore, like, white outfits, like, completely white, and with a white mink coat. And we're in the middle of Georgia, Okay? Didn't fit. And she'd walk in there, and she would be wearing her mink coat. And, and it was, she's just a really neat person. Her son is a pastor in Kentucky. And while he was in seminary, he actually moved with his, uh, his wife to an area of Louisville and went to a church that was in a really rough section of town. And he would always tell her, he's like, I'm going to go fishing today. And the first time he, he said it, she was like, Rick, you're dressed pretty nicely, and you don't have any equipment. What do you mean you're going fishing? And he's like, no, I'm going fishing for men. And she was like, well, you're going to have to take me to this one. So lo and behold, a couple of visits down the line, she goes, and this time she's wearing a brown mink coat because she's got a couple. I'm telling you, she is, she is quite the lady. And they go to a, a apartment complex that is known for having a lot of crack dealers. <laughs> and they go in this place, and she's got her mink coat on. They go strolling up in this place. If I'm lying, if, if this is a true story. Ask my wife later. This is not made up. This is not a preacher story, okay? She walks up in there, and immediately and he goes, I hate that you wore that coat. <laughs> Secondly, keep your eyes down. And if anyone asks you if, if you want anything, you just say, I'm good. Okay? And, he, and she went fishing with Rick in her mink coat. That is one of those stories that just sticks out to me in a way that shows that we are called to be fishermen of men. To go meet them at their point of need and tell them the good news of the gospel. It's what is meant for believers, for followers of Jesus to do. He's not called, a, and look, that's followers of Jesus. That's not for elders, pastors, just for elders and pastors. It's not just for evangelists. It's not just for people who speak and teach the Bible for a living. That is all the followers of Jesus are called and commissioned to be fishermen and to go out and share the good news and try to attempt to bring people into relationship with Jesus. That is part of what we are called to do. We're not only, that not, that's not only the case, not only are we called to do it and commanded to be evangelists, but we are empowered to be evangelists. 
You remember Acts 1.8? Remember, we're kind of following the progression. Acts 1.8 says that you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all of Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. You'll receive power. You know what happens in the book of Acts? We see on the day of Pentecost the Holy Spirit of God coming down on his people to empower them to preach. And this very guy who falls on his knees, his name, God cha- or Jesus changes his name from Simon to Peter. And the guy who gets up and speaks after the Spirit of God comes down in Acts chapter 2 and 3 is this same fisherman who hit his knees because he saw God when all the fish came. And he preaches a sermon. He's a fisherman uneducated in the eyes of the world, but having the greatest teacher of all time walked around with for three years. He gets up, and most and, and likely, they th- people thought of Galilee in this area as like the Redneck Riviera. I'm from Panama City, Florida. They consider that the Redneck Riviera, okay? So their accent, though it would not sound like this to you and me, it would be like this, this guy getting up and preaching, this country guy getting up and preaching with, with bad grammar and be like, y'all, come to Jesus, Okay? And, they go, and then all these people in this big, sophisticated city of Jerusalem are like, We've, power, the power of God speaks through the draw, and, and, and they come to Christ. You see, they're empowered. The fisherman becomes a preacher. And he preaches the good news because of the Spirit, people believe and are changed. And come to Christ. Thousands of people come to Christ through this thing. So Jesus followers, as a Jesus follower, you are commanded to be evangelist because that's one of the the essential calls he gives to his disciples. And he continues that through the Great Commission, especially Acts 1-8, because they're supposed to carry the gospel until he returns to everybody on the face of the planet. For us, it starts in Hartsville and goes out. So we're commanded, and then we're empowered by the Spirit of God. I want you to think about those fish again. I killed my wife's goldfish before we were married. She had a goldfish named Cleo. She still brings this up. She needs to forgive me. Pray for her. This goldfish was awesome. It would actually swim into your hand if you put your hand in the bowl. It would just kind of like, it like wanted you to pet it. It was like, huh? Okay? And it would just kind of flop into your hand. She claims I overfed the goldfish. I would never do such a thing on purpose. That died. But most fish tap on the glass, wade out in the water in a lake. What are they going to do? Swim, scatter. You ever watch fish swim like on one of those, you know, National Geographic or one of those things? It doesn't seem like there's any rhyme or reason to it. I mean, they're just everywhere. It doesn't seem like they have that look on their face. They have a blank stare. Most of them can't blink, you know? You know? <laughs> complete and utter. <laughs> Dumb. Ooh, ooh. I mean, ooh, swim around, swim around, okay? <laughs> they get jokes and they think plastic <laughs> is food, you know, like those lures? Oh, that looks like food. I better eat that. They're dumb creatures. They really are. They. They're hard to control. Unless you're Aquaman, you're not controlling fish. And you're thinking, dolphins, mammals, okay? It's not fish. 
Think about that. <laughs> what was the last time? Go, Trout! <laughs> go, Trout, go! Fetch, Trout! Salmon, go get it! They go where they will. They had been, these expert fishermen who did this for a living had been fishing all night and caught nothing with all their expertise and all their boats and all their equipment. Son of God says go out. Son of God in his power, the one who can calm the storm. We see this in the Gospels. His disciples will see this. The boats are rocking. He's asleep in the deck, and he'll stand up and say, stop it. Oh, calm. He says, go out and fish. And those dumb little scaly things that smell awful, jump into the net like nobody's business is about to sink the two boats. Do you get that it was a supernatural act that led to them being called to be fishermen? And that is a supernatural act by which now they catch men? Once you get this, you're not only commanded to be an evangelist, you are empowered by the Spirit of God to call people to Christ. You can no more make disciples of Jesus by your own will than you could make a you could make a fish do what you wanted it to do. But through the power of the Spirit, the Lord used our witness and our testimony of who Christ is and our speaking of the gospel, okay? So evangelism is not just being nice or, or evangelism really is speaking the truth of Jesus, speaking the gospel to someone. And he works through that word. And we know in Romans, how can they hear without a preacher? And the answer is they can't because God has ordained the means. You know, God could write the gospel on the skies, he could put John 3.16 on every tree in the forest. He could have every he could have an angel of the Lord, which first off would scare us to death. It would not be like the little cherubs we see or the, you know, the real feminine things. Every time somebody sees an angel in the Bible, like, whoa, and they hit the ground. He could have angels appear and say, You should believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. But in God's providence and plan, he uses people to share the, new, share the good news with Jesus, and he empowers them and empowers their witness through the Spirit to bring people from death to life. So not only are we called, but we're commanded. We're commanded and we're empowered by the Spirit of God to do this work. Not only that, if you're claiming to be a Jesus follower, it seems very evident if you're a Jesus follower and you are not actively evangelizing, which we understand is the sharing of the good news, and you're not actively fishing for men, if you're not actively going out and trying to, to share the gospel with people, you are in sin. Okay? Now, the Bible, most of us think of sins as this. You sin by, you, you sin by doing something that God commanded you not to do. We're going to call that, one, and, and, and sometimes this is termed a sin of commission. Like you did something you are not supposed to do. For example, you shall not murder, and you murder somebody. That is, you did something you ought not to do, okay? And even Jesus makes this, makes this known. If we murder someone in our heart, we're still guilty. God doesn't just care about the outward, outward obedience. He cares about the inward obedience as well. And so here's the thing. Many of us think of sin just as not doing the things that we're commanded not to do. 
So like, for example, you should not commit adultery. Well, I haven't done that, so I'm good. I haven't sinned. And another one is, you shall have no other gods before me. Well, I haven't worshipped an idol. I haven't made some big idol in my room to worship, and I haven't sacrificed to it. Okay, I have not committed that sin. However, there's also this idea in the Bible. It's, there's this idea of a sin of omission, which is this. You did not do something God told you to do. Let me give you a practical example of what that is. Evangelism is that, but... Let's say, for example, you got my man Robert back here. You keep your room clean, I'm sure. Okay, <laughs> I didn't think so, okay? So Kevin and Amy tell Robert, hey, uh, clean your room. Now, if he doesn't do that and they get upset with him, are they justified in that? Yes. But he's like, well, I didn't, I didn't do anything against what you, I mean, I, I didn't, you didn't say thou shalt, you know, not clean your room, and I didn't, no, what did he, what did he do? He's in sin because he told him to do something, and he didn't do it. We've said that a lot of times. We've seen that. We, we, it's, it's evident. But when it comes to the Bible, we just try to think about, the sin, about sin as, he said not to do that, so I better not do it. It's also sin to not do something we are commanded to do. And so here is what we have to understand is Jesus commands all of his followers to catch men and women catch people, to share the good news, and in an attempt that God will work through the Spirit to bring them to faith and repentance in Jesus. So he commands that, okay? Secondly, he empowers that with the Spirit. So we have power to do that. He works in us and he works through us to bring people to himself. Thirdly, though, if we don't do this, we're violating his command. We're committing a sin of omission, not doing something he told us to do. Therefore, we are in sin if we don't do that. Now, I've heard a lot of sermons on evangelism in my day. And they usually end right where, if I were to end the sermon right now, this is where most of them would end. And it would make you, it basically gets you to this place where you just feel awful. <laughs> You see what you're supposed to do. You see how great God is. You see that you should be an evangelist. You see that God's even empowered you for evangelism with the Spirit. But you know that you're not good at it, and you're scared to do it, and you don't want to do it, and you don't like to do it, and you're not planning on doing it. You're going to feel bad about it, and, and, and you're going to even maybe even for a couple of weeks be like, yeah, I'm going to try this because I know I want to be obedient to God. But you're going to lead to this place where... And this is where I've left a lot of evangelism sermons feeling convicted and beat down and wanting to do it, but pretty sure I'm not going to obey. And here's what I want to attempt to do today. I don't want to leave us there. Now, it's important that we get to that point to see that it is sin. But we cannot keep beating ourselves up. We have to get started somewhere. When uh, my Judson, my little boy is four, and he will be playing t-ball, and he got a, we got a call from the coach on Friday. He's got a team. We told him on Saturday he's going to have practice, and it made me so happy. He was like, I got practice? Yes! Okay, and he's getting excited for t-ball. 
And immediately, I'm just really, I'm excited about it, and I'm really good. I'm ready to be dad out on the t-ball thing. And I, I, I even, I even offered to volunteer. Where I don't know what that's going to look like, so I've offered to volunteer, and we'll see. You know, I'm just really excited about this. And then I got to thinking too. This is kind of full circle. See, my, I remember my t-ball days with my dad. Not just, it started with t-ball, and then, I mean, I got into it, and I remember us, when I was in high school and middle school, we, Dad would take me out to the field, and he would throw me pitches. I don't know how many he threw. It's probably, you probably have neck problems, shoulder problems for how many you threw. And I just go out there and hit the balls and hit the balls. I love to do that with him. We did it all the time. And I'd have some good days, and I'd be like, oh, yeah, major leagues, here I come. Yeah, I mean, I was, I was going opposite way when he threw one outside. You know, I was like, yeah, there we go. You know, I was cranking some. I was, I was doing it. And then there were those other days where I was awful. And I'm missing everything, and I'm, my swing's awful. I'm not keeping the eye on the ball. And I, as a 13, 14, 15-year-old, probably even later than that, I would yell, scream, throw my bat, act like a fool. And my dad would be like, you have to stop beating yourself up. You got to get it together, okay? Come on, son, for crying out loud. It's just a game. You got to just calm down. You've, yeah, you're not, you're not doing well today. It happens. I want you to get this. I, want, I don't want to, to downgrade sin because sin is awful. It was our sin that sent Christ to the cross. If it wasn't for our sin and for God's glory, he would not have gone. So I, I want to be very clear not to minimize this, but I want to tell you this, that John is writing to, in 1 John, he writes, so that they would not sin, but if anyone does sin, they have an advocate with the Father, Jesus. And he would say in 1 John 1, 9, he said this, if we confess our sins... He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. And so, yes, you should be doing this. I should be doing this. We probably all fall short. We may be in sin, but your heart, if you are a follower of Jesus and God is your Father, your cry of your heart is to follow Him in it. And you know this. You don't have to live in the guilt. You can repent Turn from your sins, confess it to him, and then get started. And so I want to leave you with some things to help you get started today so you won't beat yourself up because you have forgiveness and you have the power of the Spirit. And, and I want you to know this. You don't have to stay at that place where you should do it, you're not, get to it. Most sermons I ever heard about evangelism is, you're not doing it, you should do it, figure it out. But you know something? Jesus didn't do that with his disciples because the call to be fishers of men didn't come at the end. It came at the beginning of their discipleship process. What do we have? What unfolds in the book of Luke? He, they walk around with him for three years. They see him preach the gospel. They see him heal the lame. They see him do all these miracles. They see them. He trains them. He teaches them. When they're, when they're confused, he has special times with them where he prays with them. Not only that, he, I mean, he, he exemplifies the good news to them. And so I want you to know something. Wherever you are on, this, on your spectrum of following Jesus and wherever you are in relationship to this command that you become a fisher of men, a, a person who shares the gospel with people, that is the command, 
want you to know something. Wherever you are, you got to take the next step. You've heard it said, a journey of a thousand miles begins with one step. There's a lot of truth in that because this is where you have to start, is where you are. For some of us, know this, that Jesus trained his people and we need training. And first off, you need training in the gospel by reading your Bible. How can you tell about Jesus and what he has done unless you know what he has done and who he is? And I think if we stop reading the Bible and seeing the Bible as a chore, we start seeing, seeing it as the unfolding of the character of God so we can understand him, it will help us in many ways. Don't, I'm not saying it's going to become easy to you because the, the, we have an enemy and our, and our flesh fights against the things of the Spirit. But we can overcome through the power of the Spirit. So first off, the Scriptures give us training. Secondly, I want you to know this. God has given us, and encourage you this, wherever you are, you need to seek out training because God has given the church pastors, elders, teachers from many centuries who have resources available to you to become a better evangelist. I am, I am constantly amazed about what you can find on YouTube to help you do. I learned to tie a tie. Well, my dad taught me the first time. I completely forgot it, and I relearned how to tie a tie on YouTube. I learned how to try to fix my lawnmower, and it was fixed for a little while before I broke it again, on YouTube. You can learn all these things on YouTube. If you really want to find something out, you can learn it on YouTube. Or on the internet, buy, buy a book for crying out loud, you know? They still exist, you know? That, any of these things can happen. And there's so many of us who are so curious and know so many different things about life. And we go and we seek out knowledge. And you want, another, you want to learn another language, you can get Rosetta Stone. You can do all sorts of different types of things to become knowledgeable and learn things. Why is it we will not apply ourselves like that with the scriptures and our commands of our Lord to do these things? I want you to know something. There is a, a ton of things out there, resources for you to be trained in. And so go after some of them. I'm not saying you got to join a, go, you know, enroll at Union University and get in their personal evangelism class and pay, you know, $3,000 for the course. That may be a low ball. I don't know how much the course costs. Ask Lancey afterwards how much they cost, okay? She goes over there. You don't have to do that, but you can go on YouTube. I know a guy right now who came to Christ late in life. He was in his 40s when he came to Christ, and he learned how to share his faith all on the Internet. Now, our church should have done a better job of helping him, but he's like, no, nah, I don't worry about that. I'm waiting for you guys. Man, he just went and he learned on the internet. And God continues to teach him. And I just want you to know, there are so many things God has given us, pastors, elders, teachers. The, when the, Bible's un, the Bible is spoken and taught here at this church, that's one way. There are so many ways for you to get started. But that's just, that boils down to it. It's just to try. Just to do it. And you know what Jesus does after some training? In Luke chapter 10, he sends 72 of his disciples out to go do the work of the kingdom, to preach the good news, and they cast out demons and all that kind of stuff. They, turn, they come back pumped. He sends them out to do it before he leaves them to do it with the Spirit's help at the, end of, or at the beginning of Acts he just puts it out there. <laughs> How many things get started by you just 
jumping into them. I mean, some of you are going to college for the first time. Nobody knows what college is like until you go. No one knows what your career is going to be like until you do it. No one knows what a mission trip is going to be like until you go on it. No one knows. You can kind of hear all these testimonies from different people. You don't know unless you do it. And I want to say wherever you are, just start there. So for example, just ask the Lord. If he empowers you, if you believe the scriptures to be truth, which I, I do, I pray that you do, and you believe this, and he commands you to do it, and then he's empowered you to do it by the Spirit, first off, ask him, God, give me an opportunity. Okay, but buckle up if you do that, all right? God, give me an opportunity. You want me to do this? You empower me to do it? Give me an opportunity. And then go to seek it out. And in the meantime, until that comes, you serve somebody. One of the greatest ways to get started with evangelism is not just to walk up to somebody's house cold and be like, have you heard about Jesus? They're going to think you're a Jehovah's Witness. They're going to think you're a Mormon. You might get shot. I don't know, okay? That's usually not the best way to do it. But you know what it might be? It might be that you just do a simple act of service for someone, and you're asking God for opportunities, and before they know it, they could be just like spilling their guts to you. I had this happen to me all the time. I must have that look. I think maybe it's the Spirit of God. People just like to come up to me and tell me things, and I'm like, okay, thanks for that life information. I could have done without that. But God opens doors for it just time and time again. And most of the time, sometimes I'm just too dumb to see it. But sometimes when I'm walking in the, and I'm, I'm trying, I've been, and I'm, I'm, I'm walking with the Lord, I'm like, oh, duh. I mean, he's giving me this opportunity right here. I mean, it could be as simple as, as, as somebody. We had this lady that I know. Her, um, she, um, she is an older lady, and um, she gets to go different places. She loves the Lord, and she had somebody hold a door open for her one time. And she stopped, and she just said, do you know it's better to be a door holder in the house of the Lord than to spend a thousand days somewhere else? You would have, you would have thought that that guy thought, who was holding the door thought she had 12 heads. Like, what are you talking about? And before you know it, she just casually is talking about Jesus. We're trying to go in a restaurant with her, and I'm like, okay, well, the waitress is seating us. I, this is more important. We're going to sit down. You finish, Okay. That's how it was. And it could be something as this, as you serve someone. You just do something nice for someone. You, you give a cup of cold water in Jesus' name. You, I don't know what it is. You do. Go outside your way. Help watch a kid. Someone who doesn't know Jesus. Serve them in love so you can speak to them in love. That's not real hard. I'm not calling you to be ready to get up here and give us a presentation of the gospel right away. What I am saying is we got to start somewhere. And just sometimes it's just as easy as sharing your story. I don't know, man. I don't. What, what do you mean sharing my story? Well, used to. This could be as simple as I used to think church was dumb. Didn't understand God. I didn't. I didn't understand what Jesus had done, or maybe I knew it in abstract. But now I understand that. The only way that I can know forgiveness is through Jesus. And I will tell you something. It's changed me. Would you come to my church? Or would you come and read the Bible with me? Or would you come and do this so that you might know too? We're talking, coming up, we're doing two services for Easter, April 9th and the 16th. Um, on Palm Sunday and then Easter, we're doing two services. We're doing that to not because we're, you know, overly packed out. It's because we want to make room for people to be invited. And so maybe that's where you start is just, you're just going to get out there and make yourself feel uncomfortable at the pig and hand out some of our cards. 
or find that one friend that you know needs Jesus, and you're going to pray, and you're going to ask God to give you opportunities to talk to them and ask God for them to come here. It's different places. Now, we need to grow in this, and we need to recognize that we have to grow in this, but we have to start somewhere, right? And so I hope that this, this, what this does is it encourages you that, yes, we're supposed to do it, but I understand we may not be there yet, but the Lord is calling us to start where we are and to follow him. And I want you to know this. Many of us are functioning universalists. What a universalist is is someone who believes that everybody, except for Hitler, that's the one they always get some caught up, everybody except for Hitler is going to go to heaven and has gone to know peace with God and is not going to suffer eternally for their sins. Whether most of us would, because we are students of the Bible and you believe it to be true, know that not to be true. But we live and we function as if we were universalists. That we have no urgency. That we think everybody, well, you know, they're going their own path. They'll be okay. But we have very clear teachings from Scripture that the wrath of God will be revealed against all unrighteousness in men. We also know this, that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And no man comes to the Father except by him. And it would be foolish for Jesus to call us to be fishers of men and to go do all this stuff and to risk life and limb and to risk our comfort to go and tell people about him and to risk being offending our friends and risk all these different things if he were not the only way. And he would be wasting his time to call us fishers of men. He just said, just be moral people who do, good, do nice things. No, that's not what he calls us to do. The call for the disciple at first and foremost is to be a follower and a fisherman. We act as functionally, functional universalists, and I say we because I include myself in that. And I pray this, that God would give us a white-hot passion for his glory and an unbelievable desire to see dead people come alive in Christ. I know when Jesus found me, I was a seven-year-old boy who was lost in his sin. How lost could a seven-year-old be who was in church all the time? Well, I was in rebellion against God in my heart. I didn't care for the things of God. I had sinned, but I didn't understand how grievous it was. And God used a song. Be careful. This is, gonna, this is so dumb. <laughs> that it, this is, be careful, little ears, what you hear. Be careful, little eyes, what you see. God broke my heart with that song, and he brought me from death to life. And I cannot thank him anymore. And I cannot thank those people like my parents and other people, my pastor, who told me the good news and shared with me about Christ and were fishermen. Because if not, I would be in my sin still. And I know some of your stories of sin may be so much far gr more, more grievous and have so much more pain with them. But I was a seven-year-old. I was lost in my sin and dead in my transgressions and in need of Christ. And he came to me. And he came to me through the gospel spread to people. And we 
must have that desire. We must tell them the good news. And so we're going to sing, and we're going to just ask God to raise up a passion in us to see people come to Christ. So if you would, just take a moment, bow your heads. We're going to pray together. You are good. Your gospel is good. Please help us to be fishermen. We are weak and broken, not very good at it. But you will empower us, commanded us. Let us not be beaten down by our guilt, but let us come to you who is the forgiver and the empowerer. And God, give us a white-hot passion to see your glory known and to see dead, dead people come to life. And we pray all this in the name of every name, the name that is to be believed, the name of whom there is no other salvation but in that name. We pray that. Amen. You may stand. We'll sing. So breathe the breath of God now. Breathe the breath of God. Breathe the breath of God now. Breathe. Oh, breathe the breath of God now. Breathe the breath of God. Breathe the breath of God now. Breathe. So breathe the breath of God now, breathe the breath of God, breathe the breath of God now, breathe. So breathe the breath of God now, breathe the breath of God, breathe the breath of God now, breathe. Because dry bones come alive, come alive. We call out to dead hearts, come alive, come alive. Out of the ashes, let us see an army rise. We call out to dry bones, come alive, yeah. We call out to dry bones. If you would, let's stand, and we're going to be dismissed with these words of Scripture. I think it's only fitting for us to end with Acts chapter 1, verse 8, in which Jesus tells his disciples, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Go in his mission, empowered by his spirit. You're dismissed.